Welcome to Church 213. Thanks for listening to our sermon series titled Unseasonable Fruit as we go through the fruits of the Spirit and explore biblical examples of each one for us to study how God works in us through the Spirit. Thanks for listening. of us said amen together. See, the word amen means you're in agreement. So if you just said amen to, <clears throat> to Joe's prayer, and I thank you for that, my dear brother, what you're agreeing to is that you will let the Spirit of God work in you. And I hope that's your prayer this morning, that you came in here in, 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 in agreement with letting the Lord work. So I'm going to go ahead and prepare you that at the end of the message today, there's going to be an opportunity for you to follow up with your amen, for you to put that amen into action. And that is a simple commitment to let the Lord have his way in your life. This is not just a social event. If you wanted a disappointing social event, just watch something on TV yesterday. This, This is not that. This is a moment, this is... This is a moment for us to, to, to get somewhere with a living God. Amen. We, we have been somewhere. We, we have been somewhere the last 15 years. We had a chance to celebrate that last week. Wow. I'm talking about what God can do through just ordinary, flawed, yet forgiven folks. At 1675, what he's done the last 15 years through this ministry was incredible. And, uh, and I enjoyed celebrating. I enjoyed the breakfast. I enjoyed the testimony, seeing the pictures. Just, just, the whole, just the whole day as a culmination of God's goodness um, was special because it reminded me, again, and I reminded you, that Church 213 is a Christian community of folks that believe this. For it is God who is working in us to both will and work according to His good purposes. This is a cause and effect, right? Cause and effect. Y'all write this down. We're right out of the gate this morning. It's on your sermon note. The only condition to the fruit of God is a connection to the cause. The only condition to the fruit of God is connection to the cause. There's going to be some things said this morning that I've been chewing over for a couple of weeks that I've chewed over early this morning that has, I'm talking about, has some substance to it. And so I don't want you to miss it. I don't, I want you to be on the edge of your seats. You didn't pay for any of it, but even if you did, you're only going to use the edge, right? I want you to be right there anticipating grabbing a nugget of gold this morning because there's some in here. They have been to me. Let's stand together. Galatians chapter 5 is where we're going to be to, uh, to start the message. It's also where we, were, where we were last week to start the message. It's not going to be our main text, but I think it's, it's worth revisiting as we kind of uh, ease into the, to the waters as we continue the series that we're, that we're in, Unseasonal Fruit, a study of God's work in us. If you missed the introductory message, it's, it's all over the platform, so you can catch that next week. It's on our apps, on our Facebook, it's on the website. <clears throat> it was an introduction to the Spirit so that we can live out life for His good purposes. 
And so Galatians 5, starting in verse 16, says this, I say then, walk by the Spirit, and you will certainly not carry out the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is against the Spirit, and the Spirit desires what is against the flesh. These are opposed to each other, so that you don't do what you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Verse 19, now the works of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, moral impurity, promiscuity, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, strife, jealousy, outburst of anger, selfish ambitions, dissensions, fractions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and anything similar. I am warning you about these things as I warned you before that those who practice, it's the habit of, this is all from last week, who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The law is not against such things. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. And let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Man, what a picture of the kingdom of God working out through His people. Amen? You can be seated. Kingdom people, you can be seated this morning. There's not a better, more productive, more fulfilled life than the one that oozes the life of Christ in you and through you. The Bible calls it the fruit of the Spirit. Amen, church. Y'all with me? The Bible calls what oozes out of us the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Man, is, not, is that not what our world needs? Guess what? Those things we just read, they're available to believers anytime. There's not a season for them. It's unseasonal fruit. It's unseasonal fruit. There's no law on it. That's what Galatians 5 tells us. There's no law on it, which means there's no limitations. There's no signs that say you can only take the Spirit this far. There's no guardrails when you walk by the Spirit. There's no limitations that keep you from having them in your life. Mahida El Said had a unique problem. In 1992, the 40-year-old housekeeper was trying to prove that she was alive. She was having a hard time. See, what happened was the Salem Express ferry sank on December the 14th, 1991, and she was listed as one of the 446 uh, uh, who drowned on the boat. And although her baggage was loaded onto the ship, she was caught at customs and she never got on the ship. And as far as the Egyptian government was concerned, she was dead. El, El Said had died and she was even later buried. See, unfortunately, another body was buried as hers. So the government refused to cooperate with her and, she, and it was insistent that a mistake had been made. And she was not allowed to enter the country. She couldn't work in her old job. She couldn't take care of her three kids. 
as far as she knew in Saudi Arabia, she was dead. By the law, she was dead. And her family, now they were ecstatic to see her, as you can imagine. When she got off on that other ferry, days after the accident, they were ecstatic. But the government, not so much. She said this, the law does not believe that I'm alive. Like El Saeed, my question to you this morning is, would you have a similar problem if you had to prove that your faith was alive? Really have to, would you have to, if, they, if you were trying to be convicted of living by the Spirit, would there be enough evidence this morning to throw you in the slammer for the Savior? Here's what I want you to know. Religious rules don't prove that you're a believer. Amen, church. It's not the law that manages our behavior so we act different. It's the Spirit of God who works in our hearts so we are different. Dead in our trespasses to be made alive again. A new creation in Christ. You see it? It's not about just uh, flesh management. And that's the foundation of the new series that I've titled uh, Unseasonal Fruit. See, when Paul lists these fruits, it's not singular. It's not fruits of the Spirit. It's fruit of the Spirit. Y'all with me? It's fruit of the Spirit. It's one singular essence. There aren't fruits of the Spirit. Think about it like this. It's, it's one fruit, but divided into equal, separate pieces. Does that sound familiar? One essence made up of separate yet equal pieces. It's a picture of the Trinity. It's the picture of God working in us. So how would that look? It would be one essence magnified itself with different pieces that are all part of the same. Man, the Bible is its almost like it's true. It is. I was trying to figure out a way to illustrate this. Because this was an aha moment in my office studying through this. I'm like, my goodness, I've never seen it like this before. It's, of course it's God working in us. How would that look? It would, be, it would look like God, who's three in one. Look at this image right here. Think about when light, light, God is light. And if we have the light of Christ in us, it will be refracted in order to produce different things that are all part of the same essence. That's a picture of the Spirit of God walking by the Spirit in us. The fruit of the Spirit is right there. Think about it, keep that up there. Think about it like a diamond. It's one diamond, right? But when you hold it up to, to a light and you let the light shine through it, you get all these beautiful rays, all these colors that come out. And as light is refracted, and as that light is bent, you can see all the different colors in the spectrum. There's nothing that captures my eye like a beautiful rainbow. I will run off the road to take a picture of a rainbow. I've almost, you know what I'm saying? If you pass me and there's a rainbow, you better watch out because I'm all like, look at this! Because it's a picture of awe and wonder of God in my heart. It's there. The fruit of the Spirit is like that. It's all these re refractions of Christ that are bursting from the believer's life. And it's all of them together 
that are effect of walking by the Spirit. It's all of them together. They all depend on one another. See, you can't have self-control without gentleness. Try it. How can you be gentle without being faithful? You can't have faithfulness without goodness, can you? Goodness can't stand without kindness. Kindness is fragile without patience. All the parents in the room said amen. And you can forget being patient without peace. Go to Walmart and try it. And you know there is no peace without joy. But joy is temporary without love. You see the picture here? And so this morning, what I want to do is I'm going to unpack, peel back the layer of the fruit of the Spirit by starting with love. Take your Bibles and turn to John. Take your Bibles and turn to John chapter 19. The Spirit of God is in this place, y'all. I feel it. I feel Him working and moving. John chapter 19, starting in verse 25. John chapter 19, starting in 25, was a blessing to me. Because as I, as I <clears throat> stepped into the deep end to try to unpack what biblical love is, you can't, you can't sum that up in a message. You can't sum up that in one, in one series. You, there, you can, there's, hard, there's hardly a volume that can be collected to try to explain the love of God. To explain love. It's, just a, it's such a mysterious thing. And so to, 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 to begin the endeavor of trying to produce a message from a text about something so grandiose was, was overwhelming to me. And y'all, as clear as day, the Lord drew my heart to this passage that I'd never considered love before, and it was just there. It's so special. I want to unpack it. So I'm going to use this to try to explain to us what love is. Because there's a lot of things that love is not. Amen. Welcome to America. John, John 19, starting in verse 25, says this. Standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. And when Jesus saw his mother and the disciple he loved standing there, he said to his mother, Woman, here's your son. And then he said to the disciple, Here's your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her into his home. This is a picture of love for us. What we see right here is that love, in verse 25, is a location. Y'all with me? Love is a location. Look at verse 25. Standing by the cross of Jesus were these people. They were in a location. I'd never seen love like that before. They're standing right there, standing by the cross of Jesus where his mother and his aunt and two of his most devoted followers, all of which were mostly women. Let it be seen, Church 213, that the Bible does not depress the impact and influence of women at all. Men and women are absolutely equal in value. But they are not equal in function. Are y'all with me? 
We we are both created by God, both loved by Christ, but both used differently for His purposes. Think about it like this. A woman carried the Christ child. A woman was the first to the tomb. A woman was the first European believer. The first person to believe on a continent was a woman. And these women right here, they knew what love was because their love had the right location. Because these women, what we see is they're standing by the cross and their attention was fixed on Jesus. That was the focus that grounded their emotion of love. Are y'all picking up what I'm putting down? That was the location. See, love is a created thing. By that I mean it's an emotional product from our nature. It flows out of who we are naturally. We have The fact that we even have the ability to love is proof, catch this now, that we have a designer who understands what love is in order to transfer the emotion to us. Why can we love? Because we were loved. It's who we are. We don't have to go to the store and we don't, we don't have to purchase to add love into our life. The need and the desire is right there inside of us. Y'all know it's true. See, a machine can't produce love. It just does machine stuff. It, 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 it manufactures things. Think about a Tesla assembly line. You look at a Tesla assembly line It cannot produce passion, can it? That assembly line, those machines, it can't produce emotion. It can't produce reason. It can't produce a desire for love. What does it produce? A car! But it can't create love. How can we love without an initial source of love? That's what I'm trying to say. We can't. Because like anything else that has a beginning... Love is, love is meant to work within the terms and the conditions of the designer. Man, that's a nugget. It's got to be in the right context. And that's important to understand because when love finds its original location, the feeling, catch this now, the feeling begins to have stability. That emotion begins to have meaning. Are y'all with me? See, church, what I'm saying is, What love means has gotten ripped away from the proper location. It's gotten ripped away from God who created that in us. It's like a ship that's lost its storm, like, like, like it's lost its mainsail in the storm. You look around, it's there. To love something for the wrong reason is only to give more reason for misinterpretation of what love is. There's a lot of misinterpretation out there, right? Why? Why, is it, why? why do we struggle understanding and defining what our, what our nature desires so much? Why do we have a hard time finding that? Well, it's because it's been ripped away from the source. Like a ship that's lost its main sail. How can I love my family with every fiber of my being? And a good Reuben sandwich. You see what I'm saying? It's been ripped away. And so our world is just grasping at what love is because there's this desire down there. The other day I was watching a clip of a concert. 
And a girl, a group of girls collectively yell out from the crowd to the performer on stage, We love you! And he looks and he goes, I love you too. And they turn to each other and they're like, He loves us! I was watching this thing play out. I'm like, what in the world? And I thought, really? What is that emotion of love rooted in? Is that real love? No. Right? We would all agree with that. that no. That's not real love. Why? Because if the compass of true love is off, the results are illegitimate. You get what I'm saying? For the girls, y'all, you know it's not love. It's just, it's just a fuzzy infatuation. It's just all the feels, right? So I've asked myself, is having all the feels and sweaty palms and racing heart, is that really love? Because if you ask those girls, they probably also love the new boots they had on. I love my new boots. I love you. They also probably said, I love these fries that they had on the way to the concert. And they love that new concert t-shirt they've got on. And what about the performer? Did he really love them? No. He probably loved the attention. He probably loved the adrenaline rush of the stage. He probably really loved the $250 a pop they paid to sit right here and go, I love you. <laughs> you know I speak truth. Man, we've lost it. We've lost it. We, we're missing it. So what is true love? Man, it's hard to find. It seems weak. It seems elusive. It seems unstable, doesn't it? But it doesn't have to be. Amen, church? It doesn't have to be. Everybody's looking for it because it's a desire God has created for us to need and to give. Y'all write this down. Love must be rooted in the correct source in order to properly apply the emotion. That'll set some people free this morning. Love must be rooted in the correct source in order to properly apply the emotion. The emotion's coming out, isn't it? You're going to find something to love in order to properly apply the emotion. And where are these people right here in verse 25? They're standing at the foot of the cross. And their eyes were fixed on Jesus Christ, who was the consummate expression of the nature of God. In that moment, True love was on full display. And they were fixed on it. Y'all with me? They were fixed on it. They were experiencing a rock-solid emotion of love that every heart desires. They were fixed on it. It was right there in front of them. And they didn't go running out into the crowd chasing some other source. It was right there in that location. Anytime a human tries to define or redefine something that we didn't define in the first place, the ground will be unstable. Love is no different. For a government to try to redefine institutions that God alone defined leads to unstable ground. It leads to an erosion of a culture. We're right there. Why are we there? Because we're trying to, to, to define and to redefine something that we didn't define in the first place. It's a nature that was infused into us when God breathed breath and formed us in our mother's womb. It's the location that we're there. 
So you drive around with a foggy windshield long enough, you're going to find yourself making a lot of wrong turns and U-turns, right? It's like that within the love department as well. You're going to be all over the map, leaving little pieces of your heart behind. See, a sports team can't sustain the love you need. You can get really, really excited. But I would caution you not to love something like that because that's a dangerous place to let your heart get to. The right look will still leave your heart empty. Y'all hear what I'm saying? Another person, no matter how great they seem, cannot fill the God-sized heart hole, the God-sized hole that God has put in you just for Him. He, He can't do it. The options are endless. The options are endless of where we can try to reach for that love, but the source is not endless. The source is exclusive. It's the one that created you. Amen. I mean, when they're standing there and they're looking at Jesus, that was one central, fixed source. That was it. And that was right there. It was, it was, it was undeniable. And if we're trying to get love, listen to this, church. If you're trying to get love from a place that looks different than an example of Christ, that deep need is temporary and it's going to come back around. It's going to come back around. Love is an unwavering commitment through sacrifice. If you're trying to define it, it's kind of the way I look at it. It's an unwavering commitment through sacrifice. 1 Corinthians 13 is one of those all fuzzy texts. You know, it's those fuzzy texts that I use in weddings. And it's a fuzzy text that you might see on a Valentine's car that has a Jesus spin to it. But what this is doing is Paul is explaining that this is divine love in the right location. If your eyes are fixed in the right location, this is what love is. It says it right here. If I speak human or angelic tongues, but do not have love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so that I can move mountains but do not have love, what is it? I am what, church? Nothing. Because the source has been lost. If I give away all my possessions and if I give over my body in order to boast, the context there is if I give my body to be burned for a cause but do not have love, I gain nothing. So what is it? If you're looking and fixing your eyes on true divine love, what are you looking at? Well, love is patient. It's a picture of the cross. Love is kind. It's a picture of Jesus. It does not envy. It's a picture of Golgotha. It is not boastful. It is not arrogant. It's a picture of Calvary. It is not rude, nor is it self-seeking. It's not irritable. It does not keep a record of wrong. It's a picture of the slain blood of the Lamb. Love finds no joy in unrighteousness, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. But as for prophecies, they will come to an end. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will have come to an end. 
This is a picture of the right location of love, church. Y'all see that? It's a picture of Christ. There was a new married couple and the man comes home one afternoon to find his bride just sobbing. I mean, she's crying and and, and he, of course, he runs in. He's like, what in the world is wrong? And she said, I feel terrible. I was ironing and I burned a hole in the seat of your expensive dress pants. He's like, baby, it's, it's okay. I love you. Remember, I have an extra pair of those in the closet. She said, I know. As she dries her eyes, she's like, I know. I remember. I use, I use them to patch the hole. Love never fails. It's patient. It's kind. Holds no record of wrong. Young people, listen to me. Y'all with me? In God's economy, the math is different, right, Luke? If you want to find real love, you find somebody that just doesn't say, I'll die for you. Y'all with me? You find somebody that says, I will live for Jesus. Because talk is cheap. There are people that say, I would die for Jesus. And I'm like, you don't even come to church for Jesus. I would die for you. Yeah, but will you live for me? Will you live for me? You want to show your kids and your grandkids, your husband and wife, fiance, what true love is. You love them as if you were standing with these ladies and John right by the cross that day. Location. It's where love and the emotion is grounded. So love the God of the Scriptures. And the Scriptures show us what true love is. We have to have the right location. And so what we're going to see in this text is once you have the right location, that takes you somewhere. That location grows legs. And so the other thing that it is is, is, is love equals others. Love equals location. Love also equals others. I like to say, make love a verb. Verse 26. Look at verse 26. When Jesus saw his mother, you know the reason she saw her is because she was looking at him. Can you imagine? Can you, y'all, can you imagine the eye contact that was going on between a mother and her son while he was on the cross? Looking down, locked in. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple he loved standing there, he said to his mother, Woman, here's your son. Then he said to the disciple, Here is your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her into his home. You need to know this about love. God's love is inherent to who He is. It's steadfast, it's immovable, it's perfect, and it's sufficient. It does not change. It's existed for all time. And what does that do? God set, that means that God sets His love on other people. Man, imagine that. The essence of who God is, He applies to other people. And He doesn't love us because we were worthy of His love. Amen? Any, I like to say any crooked stick can draw a straight line. But yet God still loves me and still uses me. If you think about it, it's actually the opposite. He didn't have to love us. 
He chooses to. That was Sadie's line. I'm going to give her credit for that. We were in the office yesterday, and you know, as a PK, you just, you know, you just, you get exposed to the message. And so, you know, sometimes you just kind of read stuff out loud. And, and I, I said that. I was just talking through this with Sadie. And I said, does God have to love you, Sadie? And she said, no, he chooses to. I'm like, <laughs> yes, from the mouth of a child, right? He chooses to. God demonstrates his love for us by sending his only son into the realm of our reality, bearing our mess because of misguided love, right? Amen. And dying the death that we deserved. That is love. Love is, is for the sacrifice of others, for the glory of God. That's love. Did y'all hear? Y'all look like a cow that was just looking at a brand new gate out there. <laughs> Did you hear that? What is love? Love is for the sacrifice of others, for the glory of God. And the word used right here is the word agape. See, in English, we just have one word for love love. It's weak. But if you think about the concept of it, it starts to take form in the original language. The word is agape in Greek, and it means divine love. It is an, it's an exposition of the nature of God. See, the Greek word eros, it means sensual love. It's that temporary feeling of intense passion. It's where we get our word erotic. Guess what? It's never used in the New Testament. It's, it's, it's really never even used in the Bible. It's, it's implied, but listen to this. The idea of, of eros is implied in the Old Testament, but it's always in the context of a marriage relationship because the foundation of love is who God is, not how we might feel. Here's what I mean by that. A married couple, you can't live off sprinkles. The flame only stays hot when it's done God's way. You know? Don't look over here, you guys. That's a nugget. Because it grounds in what it really means. In that moment of unselfish sacrifice, divine love is on display. Write this down. This is it. Love is sacrifice for others. For God's glory. At the expense of personal comfort. That's the difference between agape and eros. Divine commitment. Love is sacrificed for others for God's glory at the expense of personal comfort. Man, that is so hard to do, isn't it? It is so easy to walk in the flesh and not walk by the Spirit. I get it. It puts your motives right out there. Let me be transparent with you just for a minute. I was born at a very early age. No, that's not it. Okay. <clears throat> Let me be transparent. There was a time in my marriage that I would show Debbie how much I loved her by fixing her plate. But the reason that I would really fix her plate is because I wanted to put the best looking steak on my plate. That'll cut a brother. But you know what? That is real life. 
That is not divine love. Because God doesn't love me like that. Doesn't he? He didn't love me like that. That did not glorify God in that moment. I was just playing a game. 1 John chapter 4 tells us this. 1 John chapter 4, verse 19 says, We love because He first loved us. Agape. If anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother or sister, he is a liar. For the person who does not love his brother or sister whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And we have this command from him. The one who loves God must also love his brother and sister. Love is a verb. There's a little six-year-old girl. She became deathly ill of a terrible disease and she needed a serious blood transfusion. The issue was her blood was rare. And so they did all these tests, and they, they found that there was possible matches. And one of those possible matches were, uh, were her brother. He was six. And when the prospect of the other donors fell through, they kind of went to their brother. But he wasn't the first choice because all the dynamics he didn't understand, and they realized that would be scary for him. And so they went to him, and he didn't understand everything, but that was the last option. And they asked him, if he would give blood to his sister. And he's like, sure, I'll give my blood to my sister. And so when the transfusion began, he took the needle in his arm, he closed his eyes, and he just, he just laid there silently. And after the transfusion was over, the doctors thanked him for being so brave and, and, and being so brave for saving his sister's life. And he looked up in the doctor, and he began to cry. And he asked the doctor, he said, so, so when do I die? And the doctor realized that, wow, he didn't communicate clearly to, his, to this little boy that, that this wasn't going to give his life. And, and, he, and he asked, he said, he said, how can you have so much courage? This is amazing. Why were you willing to risk your life for her? And the brother said this, because I love her. That is a picture of divine love. A love like that. It's a matter of the heart. And it can't be manipulated by the flesh. And so if I'm going to boil all this down to one sentence, you've already written it down. What is love? It's, it's a sacrifice for others, for God's glory, at the expense of personal comfort. That's what this world needs. And you know the source of that? You know the, the, the well that will produce that in our culture? Is this. It's the brothers and sisters redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, loving each other like that, and then pouring that type of life into other people that have no idea what love really looks like, that thinks love is face paint and pom-poms on a Saturday, or a look on a Tuesday, or a job on a Monday. Or a text thread with somebody that gives you all the feels on a Friday night. That is not it. Look at verse 26. Again, when the disciple saw his mother and the disciple he loved standing there, he said to his mother, Woman, here's your son. And then he said to the disciple, Here's your mother. Man, what a loving handoff we see right there. And from that hour, immediately, the disciple took her into his home. See, 
as Jesus was fixed to the cross, literally loving the world to death, what did he do? He, he selflessly cared for those that he loved. That's what's going on right here, including his mama. He's breaking the, he's breaking the, the apron strings, if you will. And he's treating her as a brother, as a sister, no longer mother-child, which is why he says woman. The, he, he is about his father's business, right? And she understood that. And we know what's going on because he's talking to John right here. What we see is John was the only man among the gathered group at the foot of the cross to which Jesus could hand Mary off to for care. That's the context. It's love because without some type of male stability then they were in danger. Societally, they were in danger. Physically, they were in danger. Economically, they were in danger. Spiritually, they were in danger. Men and women are absolutely equal in value, but not equal in function. Y'all with me? And so Jesus was, because he loved his mother, he was handing her off to John, which tells us that Joseph is already dead at this point. We also know that that he couldn't hand Mary off to his half-brothers because they were unbelievers at this point. They couldn't love her with an everlasting divine love because they didn't have a divine relationship. What he's doing here is he's talking about the importance of being equally yoked. Y'all listen to me. Are y'all with me? If you're going to put your love out there, if you're going to put your heart out there, the Bible says find somebody that's equally yoked that understands what the love of God looks like because you'll never be able to experience the love of God from another human if they don't have that right location in the first place. That's what it means to be unequally yoked. They're not believers. Look at Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1, starting in verse 9, tells us that his brothers didn't believe until after the resurrection. After he had said this, he was taken up as they were watching, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while he was going, there was gazing into heaven. And suddenly two men in white clothes stood by them. And they said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up into the heaven? This same Jesus, who has been taken away from you into heaven, will come in the same way that you have seen him going into heaven. Then they returned to Jerusalem from Mount of Olives, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey away. And when they arrived, they went to the room upstairs where they were staying. Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, Simon the Zealot, Judas, the son of James. They were all continually united in prayer. Along with the women, including Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. That's why John was the only one in that moment. Let me tell you this. If you're searching for love, Only God can point you in the right direction. But you have to be in the right location to search for it. What Jesus was doing was entrusting Mary to John. And he became a son to her in Jesus' place. Man, what we see is the Savior's love for the widow, for the one that didn't have security. God does not want us to have insecurity when it comes to our love. He doesn't want us to be grasping at illegitimate places. Fix your eyes on Him. And John is loving Jesus, and he sacrificed for Jesus, 
and marry for God's glory at the expense of his personal comfort. Think about it. He said, from this day on, you're going to take this woman into your home and you're going to love her like your own mother. That probably was inconvenient in some ways. That cost him something. That is a correct picture of love, a love that seeks another person's good, especially when that person can do nothing for you in return. Man, that's love. That's why you can love your children, right? They can't really do anything for you in return. You you love them. Love is a verb, church. And that kind of love right there is what will change families. It will change marriages. It will change communities. It will change classrooms. Love never fails. Imagine if we lived that out every day. Students, imagine if you went into your school, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, freshman in college. Imagine if you went into those environments with the attitude that love is a verb. You're going to love people even when they're unlovable because you know it's the Spirit of God living out through you. Man, that is countercultural. People are gone. That person right there has lost it. You're weird. No, they're weird. They're not weird. They're broken. And we have an opportunity to get it right. There is nothing... that we can do in this moment that can make God love you more. And there is nothing that you can do after you leave this place this afternoon that can make God love you any less. Because love is divine. Man, that, that, is, that is salve to my heart. And so my challenge this morning is this. Just come to the love of God. Come to the love of God. Love, church, love has a name, and it's Jesus. Bow your heads with me, just for a moment. Put on your mind's eye. Our praise team's coming. They're going to be moving. Don't let that be a distraction to you. I'm going to ask you to do what you said you would, you would do at the beginning of the message. And when you said amen to the prayer, and that's this, you would let the love of God do something in your life and you would respond to it. These aren't my words. These guys said amen to that. And so my question, think about this. Are you seeing love in a way you've never seen it? And is that changing something in you today? Is, is there something that is that something that divine love is causing you to get in order? Is there somewhere that you need to get love in order? Is there something that you're loving? That's unbiblical. It's out of line. It's not in the right location. And you're just grasping at straws. I'm going to encourage you this morning, church. Get love in order. If you don't have a relationship with Christ, get that love in order. Say, Lord, I have a false view of love. I've been grasping at straws and trying to 
feel that need in places that are just illegitimate and I just, I'm not finding it. But this morning, I understand that love is found in Christ. And I want to surrender my life to Him this morning for the first time.